Our doctor is in, and so are the doctors of Capital Health. Welcome to the all-new Health 411. Every Sunday morning at 10, Dr. Jonathan Karp, along with our respected panel of guests from Capital Health, take you on an important medical journey to help you navigate your health and the healthcare system. To reach your destination, good health. Health 411 is underwritten by Capital Health. Minds advancing medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology. 107.7 The Brock and 107.7 The Bronx. Com, proudly nominated for National Association of Broadcasters 2019, 2021, and 2022 Marconi Award for Best College Radio Station, and a winner of the 2023 IBS College Media Award for universities under 10,000 students. We are broadcasting from the Bronx All Digital Studios on the campus of Ryder University. Welcome to Health 411, and I'm your host, Professor Jonathan Karp. This Health 411 program is presented by Capital Health. In Health 411, we discuss a variety of issues affecting health and wellness, public health, healthcare policy, and the science of health and healthcare. Our goal is to expand your knowledge and your perspective. Today, Dan Geller and I are going to do that because you picked a topic, Dan. What do you want to talk about? I did. I wanted to talk about one of sort of the overarching problems of neuroscience, which is how is how does consciousness arise from the brain? That's an interesting question. What made you interested in this topic? I was kind of thinking about it, and I feel like from the second I was self-aware, I wanted to know how am I self-aware and why am I conscious and why why do I know that I exist sort of thing. Uh, <laughs> you think you realized that from a very, very young age? I think I was like four, my first memory was like four years old. And that's what I was thinking about. Like uh, who am I and why am I, why am yeah, I here? Why, why do I exist? Why am I me? Why am I not Dr. Carp? Why am I not my mom? And what did your mom and dad say about that? I did not ask them. I don't think they like those sorts of questions. <laughs> <laughs> well, many people don't. Those are very, very hard questions. It's a, it's a really existen- existential thing. So, um, Okay, so I'm not sure I'm not sure what you're going to go uh, on this, but let's 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 start with an understanding of um, um, like historically, like we're in a we live in a society now where people can say with a lot of confidence, um, um, emotions, thought, and all that stuff comes from your brain and nervous system. Historically, that wasn't always the case. Um, the ancient Egyptians had such high regard for the brain that they did what when they mummified people? They took the brain out. They sucked it out yep. and they threw it on the floor. What did they do with like the organs of the body, the heart, the lungs, the spleen? Your they, they left it in there, right? They mummified all that? No, they put them in jars. Oh, in jars. Okay. Yeah, so the kings and queens and the famous people of um, ancient Egypt would have those things in the afterlife. They just wouldn't have a brain. So the brain was just discarded? It was discarded. Oh. Yeah. Aristotle thought that the, the point of the brain was to cool the body humors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the humors. Yeah. I've, I have the, heard of that. The humors of the body. Um, the ancient Chinese, if you want to go all different cultures, um, thought that thought and emotion came from the Zhangs. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard of that. You know what Zhangs are? No. So the Zhangs are your spleen, your intestines, your liver, and there was a connection between all these things. Like you know, so it's sort of like a word for organ. Well, no, okay, well, the, they were called the, the, the Zangs. It was all that inner, the guts. Oh, so just everything. Came okay. from your guts. I see. All, they thought that was the seat of, and it sort of has, it's, it sort of led to like um, the meridians and acupuncture and stuff like right. that. But um, the, the, the idea that um, um, all your nervous system is responsible for behavior historically is a relatively new thing. Because um, that only arose with the field of neuroscience. Um, no. Or was it a little before that? No. Well, I'm going to give you this is my this is the, this is the two minute overview. 
um, there was this famous so was sort of in Western culture um, for most of uh, uh, humanness. Uh, people thought that human behaviors and human thoughts and things like that um, were sort of the gift of, of gods, like benevolent gods or witches or, or evil spirits or good god, good spirits, bad spirits. And people would say things like "the devil made me do it." You ever hear about that? Of course, yeah. That, yeah. that sort of sa- that sort of says there's some sort of animated spe- spirit out there. I mean, yeah, you have things like heaven. the Salem witch trials. Well, that, that's different. That, okay. that, that's a different. Th- that's a different kind of thing. Just sort of understanding consciousness, understanding right. where where thoughts come from, where your self identity comes from, and so throughout history, there's there's been this outside thing. And Descartes, you might have heard mm-hmm. about the philosopher. Yes, you know, a mathematician, sort of a polymath guy, who went around Europe teaching people. Um, he came up with the idea that the pineal gland in the brain was the seat of the soul. Okay. And that was the idea that, that there was this um, non-material entity that the Aristotle called the, the psyche, the psyche mm-hmm. that was outside the body. And Descartes claimed to have found the seat of the soul. Which um, was the pineal gland. The pineal gland. And he thought that, that there weren't computers back then in the 1600s. Um, but there were, you could make things move with hydraulics. You know, you step on something. If you go by that water park that's out by... Um, in New Jersey and was it Jackson? I Six Flags. Six Flags mm-hmm. Water Park. Yes. You step on things and you can make, you know, elaborate movements of the statues and stuff like or that. Or if you, I don't know, you could even think about cover one hot tub bubbler hole and the other one comes out faster. You know what I mean? A little bit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Um, but okay, Descartes came up with this, the hydraulics were responsible for human um, movement and things like that. And the pineal gland would be the seat of the soul individuality that has I mean, even though people talk about that sort of like dualism sort of idea that the mind and the body are sort of separate um it sort of breaks down if you think about it because in 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 his way of thinking, the only the only creatures on the planet that have souls are what? Humans. Humans. Mm-hmm. Except all vertebrates have pineal glands. Right. So why are they there if they don't have souls to be acted on? Um uh the other problem is that people who have had uh, pineal tumors or uh, cornified, cornified or non-working pineal glands or something like that. You said cornified? Yeah, that's a, it's, it happens sort of with aging, okay. like with other organs too. Mm-hmm. Um, it's calcified, not corn, it's not calcified, I should have said. Um, I'm a little tired. And, um, <laughs> and uh, they have normal intelligence, they have normal free will, they have normal decision-making. And the final problem that's sort of part of the Cartesian impasse, um, as Descartes probably proposed it, was the idea that how could something with no mass, no energy, Nothing, uh, move the pineal gland and uh, you know move it around and make the body humors shift around for hydraulically. So it's a problem with physics itself. It's a physics. As well. It viola- violates the laws of physics. So his idea of dualism, um, mind body kind of problem stuff, which is sort of kind of what you're alluding to, um, didn't really fit. But it laid the groundwork for that the the brain was sort of important more than just cooling the body humors. Um, it was during sort of the age of enlightenment, the age of reason. That happened in the 1700s and with the Industrial Revolution, to make a long story short, is uh, people started putting together the idea that uh, consciousness and thoughts and feelings all come from the brain and the nervous system. And uh, um, it was sort of like the age of enlightenment discovery um, where, you know, the idea that reason and science, you could do experiments to understand the natural world around you. It just, oh, that's just the way it is. And they it's, just, it's the birth of the, the scientific process, yeah, essentially. Essentially in the 1700s, you know, and uh, 
um, doing experiments and in the industrial revolution there was you know discover electricity there was optics for vision you know mm -hmm. you can manipulate like if you were you had bad vision you weren't doomed to have bad vision forever um, you're you're intervening in God's will of have you having bad wish, vision by wearing wearing glasses. Um, so there's a lot of different ideas you had. Yeah. You had. So, the, I, so the idea is around the seventh, eighteen hundreds or so, the industrial revolution happened, and then along with that, there were. Uh, I'm, I'm simplifying a lot. A lot of industrial accidents and things like that. Phineas P. Gage is a great example. Uh, but people have had like brain injuries and their personality so changes. So Phineas different. was was the man who with the railroad spike through the head. Yeah, it was a right? tapping iron. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. For people who don't know. In the old days, when they were building the railroads, they um, were blowing up mountains and things like that that mm -hmm. were in the way. And the way you would do that is you drill a hole in the ground and you put some dynamite in the hole. Then you would take this tapping iron and sort of tap it and push it, push the dynamite way, way down. And then after that, you would ignite the dynamite and, and then clean up the rocks. And poor Phineas got a yeah. Well, while while he was using the tapping iron, it got blown up through his head, mm -hmm. and it went through and it sort of went through one of his orbits, not the top of his head. Um, the, and then the people say the miraculous thing is, is he survived this injury, which is sort of neat. But his personality changed, his consciousness changed, his his who he thought about himself, his behaviors changed. And by all accounts, he went became from a like a friendly guy with a sense of humor, he, guy who lost a lot of control. Um, like even if like you know if um, if your boss came in, Dan. And, and your boss had a real horrible spouse, would you say, oh, my God, your spouse is ugly and smells bad? I'd hope not. No, you'd keep your mouth <laughs> shut. Well, Phineas P. Gage lost the ability to edit his thoughts like that. And he, um, I mean, he, lived, he lived a long time afterwards, but he no longer could work for a railroad. I right. think he had a lot of odd jobs. And I think he eventually died. I think he was a, like a, a, a stagecoach driver. For, uh, somewhere I have read the story, but I forget the yeah, exact so, details. So, something yeah, like something that. like that. Um, but anyway, the, here's the point where he had a brain injury and his consciousness changed, his sense self, idea of self, self-identity changed. Um, and it sort of, inf those kinds of things informed people that one's nervous system was responsible for our self-identity and consciousness, um, which has not always been, you know, just by observation and, you know, obvious to people. Um, but you want to keep talking about this. So we, we'll continue our conversation after we break um, uh, for some underwriting announcements. We'll be right back with Health 411. You are listening to 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Health 411 Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health. If someone you loved was sick, how far would you go to make sure they got the best care? Your mother, your sister, your best friend, your neighbor, your son? How far would you go for doctors who will meet with you longer so they really get to know you and who collaborate across disciplines so that they can devise a plan of care that's uniquely right for you? There's no doctor too far, no care too distant, that you wouldn't go there. And for more than 100 years, so has Capital Health. From our hospitals in Trenton and Hopewell to our primary care offices all across Mercer, Bucks, and Burlington counties to right here at Ryder University, Capital Health has the team of doctors, nurses, experts, specialists, and staff that you can count on to care as much about your loved ones as you do. Because you'd go to the ends of the earth if someone you loved was sick. And so do we, Capital Health. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com from the Digital Bronx Studios. Welcome back to Health 411. Um, Professor Jonathan Carper, I'm having a conversation uh, with Dan today um, about consciousness and that he wanted to talk about. In the last segment, I did a really quick overview 
uh, about the ideas is now we think that consciousness comes from the brain and, and the nervous system. But that wasn't always an intuitively obvious because, you know, we still have expressions like the devil made me do it or... Um, you know, if, if, if somebody did something, would you would you let somebody off the hook and blame like demons or angels if they did something bad? The answer is no. You're yeah. responsible for your own behavior. You came up with your own um, consciousness. And, um, you know, and the, the idea is that, you know, the, the punchline is nobody knows uh, how consciousness emerges. Exactly. And in neuroscience, there's a famous book that's called um, From Neuron to Brain. It's like a it's like a textbook. It's a little bit old now. I don't know if they're still making new editions. Um, but it was. I want to add to that. And like people know the components of the nervous system. The nervous system is made up of neurons and glia, which are the cells of the nervous system. The nervous system is made up of chemicals um, that are involved with communication. Um, it's made up of synapses. So, like there's some are the electrical synapses, where an action, a nerve impulse or action potential generates neurotransmitter release. Postsynaptic cells respond to it. There are some neurons that are connected by connexin proteins, which are these electrical synapses. Um, and then somehow you have these individual cells which create um, brain areas and then connections of different brain areas. So which is what you refer to as the connectome. Connectome nowadays, right. Uh, and so th there's no such thing as what the classic example is if you think of your grandmother, there's no cell in your brain that's like your grandmother's cell. That, that's how you remember your grandmother. Right. It's more about how they work together. Right. Or if I said, you know, um, fresh ba baked bread smell, you know what that is. Right? I do. But there's no like cell in your brain that gets light, lights up, becomes active when, that, when you think about that. But there's a circuit. There are connections um, in your brain that when that pattern emerges, that's what you, you realize. Also realize that most of what your nervous system is doing at any given time, you're not aware of. It sort of does it. Um, to help maintain your the the integrity your integrity, you so know, that would be like digestion, digestion, heart rate, blood all pressure, sort of breathing, stuff. all that stuff you don't have to think about. Mm -hmm. Even if you go if you go run up flight of stairs, your heart rate, blood pressure, and breathing changes. Right, and that's the sympathetic nervous system. Well, that... it's 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 the autonomic. It's autonomic. Sympathetic, that's what sympathetic I Sympathetic and parasympathetic are working together along with the enteric nervous system, um, but you can consciously control some of those things. Some people can like. Get, you know, think a thought and have the heart rate, blood pressure go right. down. Other people can sort of meditate a little bit of heart rate, blood pressure go down, up and down. So you can, you can sort of, you know, make the anxiety is just thinking and your heart rate, blood pressure, blah, 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 in the absence of any real thing. So all this sort of happens. And, um, and so the question is, as you go from neuron, all these cells and all these chemicals, and you make a brain, right, how does that from whatever the brain is doing, how does it lead to this idea of consciousness? I think that's that's what you're sort of yeah. Asking. That's the main question and so, here. But the, the question, but the thing is, and it, it's it's sort of the great unknown. So historically, um, consciousness has sort of been in the realm of philosophy. Exactly right. right? And, and philosophers, I, mean, I, think, I think, therefore, I am. That's Descartes as well, right? Um, that could be Descartes. I don't. It could be. I think. I think. I think I, it is. I, it, um, Might be wrong. Yeah, it might, I'm thinking of another one, but it, could, it, it is some sort of, it's a, it, but it's a realm of philosophy. Right. And remember, science came out of natural philosophy, but we call science now. It's sort of, can we understand the natural world around us by doing experiments and deductive reasoning? Are things testable? Because not everything in, is testable. Mm -hmm. Miracles only happen once, and by definition, they're not testable. And they're, they're sort of like miracles, you know, it, it, does Bigfoot exist? Well, you can't really... 
you can't you gotta go find you gotta go there's nothing repeatable there and you can't it's like you can't have a disprovable hypothesis that's one of the main yeah. rules of like, science yeah. is, is the mona lisa attractive or should a homie looking <laughs> yeah, right science science can't answer that right mm -hmm. science can tell you how to have a, like a safe abortion so the mother doesn't die it doesn't tell you whether you should mm -hmm. you know science can tell you how to build an atomic weapon it doesn't tell you how so there's all these sort of things that science can't touch and so far how does what we call consciousness emerge from cells talking to each other, neurons and glia, from chemicals moving between these cells, um, from electrical impulses, uh, which are action potentials, which are the movement of ions. So in the electrical wires in the studio, what moves in those electrical wires? Electrons. Electrons. Well, in physiological systems, the charged particles are not necessarily electrons, but they're Ions, mm -hmm. which are charged particles by definition. So you have like nerve impulses, which are sodium and potassium, and then sodium, potassium, and calcium, and like heart, cardiac muscle. And so all these things create the connectome, right? And these things connect, they can be active, and they raise what we call consciousness. So is, There's, is, is the peripheral nervous system considered part of the connectome? Um, absolutely. Okay. So, so, so a way to look at it is, is this thing we call, well, if I gave you a, I feel like I'm lecturing here, but I'm really not lecturing. We're just talking. If I gave you a, like a, 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 an anatomy and physiology textbook, it's divided into chapters. There'll be a chapter called the nervous system, a chapter called the cardiovascular system, a chapter called the endocrine system, a chapter called the digestive system, right? Blah, 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 blah. And you have a bunch of chapters. Um, those chapters are sort of lies in the sense that your body is not divided. Those systems were created to make it easier to understand something that's complicated. In real life, all these systems talk to each other. They all work together. So you will see, for example, the, uh, the, the kidneys, which are part of the urinary system, right? The kidneys are also part of the endocrine system. And you could argue the kidneys are part of the cardiovascular system. So how, it's in all these systems. The heart, the heart is the cardiovascular system. The heart is also part of the endocrine system because it releases hormones as do the kidneys. And so the nervous system, right, mm -hmm. is sort of interesting because the job of the nervous system is to collect information from the outside world, integrate it with all the stuff that's going on in the inside world and produce appropriate behavior. The only way that can happen is if the nervous system knows all the stuff that's happening in the body at any given time. So the cardiovascular system knows what's happening in your heart. It knows what's happening in your lungs. It knows what's happening in your GI tract, the enteric nervous system, um, like the microbiome stuff. It knows what's happening in, in your kidneys. And so it's monitoring all that to help you. It's also part of the lymphatic system. Well, that's the immune system. Right. That's, an, that's another one. And, and that's, that's your area I actually did my I did my postdoc in that stuff. Yeah. Right. And I and I and I did my postdoc with some people who, um, most people are familiar with like Pavlov and his dog. Something yep. like, you know, um, sound, food, saliva, sound, food, saliva, and eventually the sound produces saliva. Well, that's classical conditioning. It's learning of the digestive system. Right. Mm -hmm. Saliva, just you know, produced when you start to digest. Um, you know, simple carbohydrates in your mouth, like amylase and stuff, right? But what they did, they got famous because they did some classical conditioning of immune responses, which is really the same sort of thing, um, but they did, you know, classically conditioned immunosuppression. And what they found was that uh, the nervous system could teach the immune system how to respond in the absence of 
like an antigen, which is usually what... Oh, so that's what they're looking at. I was thinking more like it was cold, and so the immune response, no. No, no. They, they, they did stuff like... Uh, um, they classically conditioned immunosuppression. <laughs> um, it was serendipitous observations, uh, but they used uh, uh, lithium chloride um, and cyclophosphamide originally because um, the animals, it's like, so it was like a bitter taste. Um, and so they were able to c- compare a bitter taste with an immunosuppressive drug. And if you do that a couple times, eventually oh, you I get gotcha. immunosuppression in the absence of the drug. Mm-hmm. And so it, just like the digestive system could learn, the immune system could learn. The whole point of all that is, is it shows that all the systems of the body talk to each other. And those divisions are just created uh, by people who take something that's complicated and try to break it into its tiny bits. But there's no real division. It's all one thing. All, like, all immune responses take place in a neuroendocrine milieu, except many of those studied like... <laughs> By immunologist in vitro kind of thing. Right, right. Um, and I say that with a smile on my face. But the idea is that the the, your, the the body, everything talks to everything else. And it's it's hard to, in real life for things to work in isolation. Um, and like the question is then, you know, right, hey, Carb, how does that relate to this idea of consciousness? And um, I want to say about that is, um, is, is, is it's also very hard to define. What do you mean by consciousness? Is it, is it? Actually, let's, let's, let's talk about let's, that say, let's yep, take a yep. pause. Let's do our break for underwriting, and we'll come back, and that'll be a good place to launch. So we'll be right back with Health 411. You are listening to 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Health 411 Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health. If someone you loved was sick, how far would you go to make sure they got the best care? Your mother, your sister, your best friend, your neighbor, your son? How far would you go for doctors who will meet with you longer so they really get to know you and who collaborate across disciplines so that they can devise a plan of care that's uniquely right for you? There's no doctor too far, no care too distant, that you wouldn't go there. And for more than 100 years, so has Capital Health. From our hospitals in Trenton and Hopewell to our primary care offices all across Mercer, Bucks, and Burlington counties to right here at Ryder University, Capital Health has the team of doctors, nurses, experts, specialists, and staff that you can count on to care as much about your loved ones as you do. Because you'd go to the ends of the earth if someone you loved was sick. And so do we, Capital Health. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Uh, you're listening to two, two Health 411. Um, Dan has forced me into a conversation. And maybe forced. I'm, uh, monologuing a little too much. But he wanted to talk about the neurobiological origins of consciousness. And we can ask him about that. And at the end of the last segment, I was sort of saying how one even defines consciousness is sort of controversial. What, are you, what have you found about that? What are you well, what about? I think consciousness is, it's sort of like an innate quality of the brain and that you understand that you exist, you're self-aware of yourself, and you can control your own decisions. And based on that, you can plan for the future or think about the past. Well, let me ask you this. So one of the things, if you look at all the critters um, on our planet that have um, nervous systems, right, which are animals, basically, mm-hmm. as you have to go. Um, a lot of animals uh, don't have, like, full brains, right? They might have, like, cephalic ganglion or something like that. Somewhere a brain emerges, right? Does every – it's like it's like going from, you know, chains of proteins to – chains of amino acids to proteins. You know, like, proteins are chains of amino acids, but how many of them 
How know, many does it take? Yeah, what's, what's the tipping point? Yeah, essentially, how do you go from like amino acid to peptide to protein? What the magic? How number? do you go from neuron to neurons to consciousness? Et yeah, cetera, and, right? and, and nobody really knows that. So if you look at the animals, like what, like do you just do you have to have a brain for consciousness? How does it emerge? I mean, I think it's an innate quality of electricity and electromagnetic fields. Well, that's just because of what you read. But let let let's take. Let's no, that's what I think. That's actually what I think. That that uh, okay. Tell me more about what. Well, you like meant. I think. Like a worm. Like a worm has synapses, right? A worm has neurons. It has neurons, correct. So a worm might not, is not conscious in the same way a human is, but I think it possesses a certain level of proto-consciousness. Well, that's not consciousness. So, 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 is, so one of your things was an awareness of self, thinking about the future. I would argue, I don't think a worm has an awareness of itself as different from something else and can plan for the future. I, I would argue that the nervous system of a worm is simple enough and it doesn't have the integrative, remember, collecting inputs, integrating them, and producing outputs and behavior. The ability of the nervous system of a worm to do that is very, very simple. The potential repertoire of behaviors for a worm, and I'm thinking like earthworm, mm -hmm. um, not the only kind of worm, um, is relatively simple. It's pretty much limited. I would argue by the time you go from a really simple nervous system, to like, like you can go to like a worm, to like a fish, to a lizard, to a mouse, to a dog, to a person, right? Those nervous systems are getting sequentially more and more complicated. It, the way that the neurons work is remaining basically the same. Um, it's one of the reasons that people have won Nobel Prizes for studying like squid or a plasia, which is a marine snail, because the way that the, the cell, the neurons and the glia work in those other animals that have neurons and glial cells is essentially the same way that the neuron and glial cells work in you. In okay? squid. In squid, right? The squid giant axon um, is how the fundamental properties of electrophysiology were discovered. And they didn't have like high-end like microscopes in the late 1940s and 1950s that they have now. So they had to use an animal that had like a big wide axon that they could puncture with a, like an electrode that they could okay, see. So that's why they chose that organism. That's why they, they chose just got big, big neurons. It had a big, big axon in it. But it, we're using that, Hodgkin and Huxley and the, the colleagues and stuff were able to discover the basic neurophysiological properties that underlie like all the neurons like in your body. Every single one of them are basically the same in your heart and your everywhere. And so those electrophysiological properties are the same. The question then comes, and this is this is what this is like one of the big mysteries of neuroscience. At what point, like how many neurons do you need, or how many connections, synapses do you need for consciousness to emerge? And I don't think and I think people would agree that by the time you get to humanness. There, there, there was some level of consciousness in uh, an otherwise healthy human. And we can talk about persistent vegetative states. We can, we can talk about all these other kinds of things, you know, coma. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think you it's, know, it's rel a relatively semantic question. What, at what point does consciousness it's, it's, form? Well, I think, I think it's, it's, a, it's like asking when does the, the pile of sand become a mound of sand? It, well, it, yeah, it's, it, it, that's exactly, that's exactly what it is. It's like, um, you know, it's like, I can't define it, but I know when I see it. Exactly. Some famous person said that about pornography. Oh, I didn't know that, but <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't define <laughs> it, but I know when I see it. Oh, yeah. But it's, it's, um, it's so, so whatever consciousness is, it emerges. Remember I'm saying we're going from neuron to brain to connectome from all the kind of circuits 
that that are there. And the question is, you can you can go look at these the evolution relationship of animals, and you can see some like cephalic ganglia to quote unquote little brains, like somewhere in the insects. Mm-hmm. You know, and then eventually, by the time you get to the mammals, you might call it like a brain. But do do does every mammal have consciousness? Can every animal have an a a a a, 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 a an appraisal of self? Now, to have an appraisal of self, you have to have an appraisal of others, right? And then you said, well, the ability to protect the future. I'm pretty. I, I feel pretty confident in to say that cats and dogs and Critters like that are not sitting around trying to predict the future. They probably no, are, but are they, they might con- they, they might be like, I want to jump on the shelf. Will I fall if I jump on the shelf? Is it too high? That's the sort of future I mean. Well, no. What the, what they've learned is it's like having kids around. You let the kids stick their finger in the electric socket. It hurts. They survive if they don't stick their finger in the electric socket again. Right. Do you know what I mean? And so it, it's it's like learning. It's learning, but the ability is the ability to learn a component of consciousness i don't think so do you think it is i don't know that's the way you so i proposed well, it well i i think about it sort of backwards so have you have you heard the story of clive waring no so he's a british gentleman he's still alive i think he's like in his 70s now but when he was in his 20s he got meningitis and it destroyed the part of his brain responsible for memory essentially and so he has like a 15 second long memory and it's kind of horrifying in a way because he has a notebook and in the notebook he writes now i am awake I am now very awake. I know for a fact now I'm awake. And it's like years and years of this. And so that sort of goes along with the idea that when does the mound of sand become a pile of sand, et cetera, et cetera, down okay. to the grain. Then there's another, I don't know that. I don't know about I, that. I suggest that you read it. It's a really cool story. Yeah, send that to me. I do know um, uh, about a guy, a guy named Patient H.M., and if you ever had like an intro psych class, they talk about him a lot. Patient H.M. Um, had temporal lobe epilepsy in the 1950s. And it was so bad that he couldn't function, couldn't hold a job, couldn't drive, couldn't do a bunch of stuff. So what they did was they located in his brain, uh, which were the medial parts of his temporal lobe. Um, and they figured out this is the site that these epileptic seizures are generating. And so they, they did these knife cuts. They did these island cuts to, sort of, to stop the seizures from spreading all over his brain. And it worked, right? But what he did was, is HM, to make a long story short, lost the ability to form new memories, mm-hmm. right? Um, he still had uh, what, what, what's called non-declarative memories. Some of his you know, motor memories were still intact. So he could still learn stuff, but he couldn't learn stuff that were called declarative memories. Like um, he couldn't, like he was like trapped you know, when, you know, who's the president? Yeah, trapped in just like a couple minute long loop. Yeah, he was like trapped. That's exactly what I was talking right. about, yeah. And yep. there's a famous movie, um, oh, what's the movie that does backwards? Back uh, to the Future? No, <laughs> it's, uh, it'll come back to me at, at, at some. Um, but anyway, of, of that. So there are cases where people lose the ability to generate new long-term memories. And so he, oh, for his life, he thought that like Truman was the president. Um, he would, there was like, Think the movie's Memento. Memento, that's yep, the movie yep. I'm thinking about, exactly. And it's about a, a guy like that. And his only way of keeping track of what's real was to try to write it down or tattoo it on right. stuff, and stuff like that. But he had no, me- he couldn't create new memories. But you wouldn't argue, this is a long story short, you wouldn't argue that he lost consciousness. Mm-hmm, exactly. He just lost the ability to form new declarative memories. Um, didn't lose the ability to learn, but just declarative memories. You, nobody would say HM or this Clive guy that you told me about whatever his name was, um, was not conscious anymore or was not human, hmm. right? But even though they had severe brain issues. Neuro- How about somebody who's had a stroke, right? You might have a stroke and you might not be able to move. You might not be able to speak. 
you can still have consciousness. Like locked in syndrome, same same well, idea. Yeah, in, in a sense. Um, or, you know, uh, how about, you, I'm looking at the clock too, but you have some with a global brain disease, like later term Alzheimer's disease, right? Are these people, they're, still, they're human, they're alive, but they don't know who they are. That's, that's that sense of self you identified before. Right. Um, they, they've lost memories. You know, they don't know where they are, blah, 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 blah. Have they lost consciousness, even though that they can communicate and eat and, you know, drink and poop and pee and all that kind of stuff? Are they no longer conscious anymore because they have lost a sense of self? It's a good question. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm using your yeah, definition yeah, to, yeah. To, to put out some things there. Uh, but let's continue this conversation, Dan, Dan. We'll be right back with Health 411 after some brief underwriting announcements. You're listening to 1077 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. Health 411 Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. on 1077 The Bronx is underwritten by Capital Health. If someone you loved was sick, how far would you go to make sure they got the best care? Your mother, your sister, your best friend, your neighbor, your son? How far would you go for doctors who will meet with you longer so they really get to know you and who collaborate across disciplines so that they can devise a plan of care that's uniquely right for you? There's no doctor too far, no care too distant, that you wouldn't go there. And for more than 100 years, so has Capital Health. From our hospitals in Trenton and Hopewell to our primary care offices all across Mercer, Bucks, and Burlington counties to right here at Ryder University, Capital Health has the team of doctors, nurses, experts, specialists, and staff that you can count on to care as much about your loved ones as you do. Because you'd go to the ends of the earth if someone you loved was sick. And so do we, Capital Health. There's no appointment needed for this doctor's visit. Now back to the all-new Health 411, underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. You're listening to Help 411. Dan is insisting that we talk about consciousness. He wants to talk about it and wants to know what, what I think about consciousness. Um, and he brought up an interesting thing. Um, and to just to the stick a step back, Dan, I said the, the people are figuring out the cells in the nervous system, the brain. We have to assume that the brain is the organ of thought and consciousness. That's where we sort of are. But even that, it doesn't do it in the absence of everything else in the body. We do know that emotional contexts depend on all the peripheral nervous system connections. Because people who have had like uh, C-spine fractures and are quadriplegic report less intense emotional feelings, like when watching movies. I did not know that. Than people who don't have the, who are in contact with all the peripheral organs and stuff like that, which is sort of interesting. It so, is interesting. So, it, so, the, so what you call the peripheral nervous system um, has a role in sort of emotional context and and, and it reminds know, me of the brain in the jar idea which makes absolutely no sense it can't happen yeah but like if you think as, as a thought experiment i know it can't happen yeah, but yeah. right oh yeah we did the brain transplant thing but the and what, what dan is talking about is the, the some people think well if i could take my brain put it in a jar i could put it into a new body and i'd still be me the answer well you wouldn't be you anymore because what you are is your brain's inputs being used to your size, you know, everything about you, all your peripheral organs, and it generates a sense of self or, you know, kinds of thing, consciousness. And so not just anatomically, it doesn't work. Um, but the question then is, could you design something? You can make like machines and computers and stuff that can mimic a lot of things that humans can do. I mean, we have AI, come on. Yeah, it's like the is, whole thing is, now. But right, but is it conscious? Is AI conscious? Yeah. Well, if you if you define consciousness as just an innate quality of electricity, then I'd argue yes, but not in the same way I defined it earlier. Well, well, you now, now you're just you're, you're you know um, you know uh, just because you okay, there's a couple of levels of that. Just because you can mimic 
what a human can do or what a human can produce doesn't mean you're doing it in the same way exactly. that a human would do it. That that's level one. Um, um, and then you know you think about your computers; they're moving electrons around, right? So whatever they're doing by definition, they're not doing it in exactly the same way that humans are doing it. But can you design a computer that can do things faster than people, or um, or at least you know they they can play chess, they can drive cars, calculators, etc. Yeah, yeah. Well, they can fly airplanes, right? They can do a lot of things probably faster, more accurately than people. But that doesn't mean they're conscious. So thinking about that sort of stuff is um, interesting. I'm not sure that's the the track you want to go on. Um, the thing is, can you design a machine machine that can not only do what a brain can do or a nervous system can do, but do it in the same way that a brain or nervous system can do? What with like synapses, neurotransmitters, well, that, well, that sort of what thing. What I'm saying, you know, Descartes that we talked mentioned about earlier, he used hydraulics instead of computers. He didn't have computers, but he had the, the most complicated machines of his day were hydraulics. So he, he decided the nervous system worked like a hydraulic mechanism with a pineal gland moving fluids up and down the, the, the nerves. Nowadays, we have computers, right? So people say, oh, the brain works like a computer, right? Um, artificial intelligence is emerging. So it's artificial intelligence. Um, is that intelligence that can mimic in some sense what the brain can do, but it, does it do it in the same way? And then the, right now, the thing of, of science, science fiction movies is um, just because you can do some of the things that the nervous system can do and sometimes better and faster, does that mean you've, at the same time, you've created consciousness, right? Yep. And, and, it, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a complicating thing. Um, and like I would argue, like you said, one of the things you said before was a sense of self as consciousness. And then I pointed out to you there are people who lose a sense of self or lose a sense of past or the future. Um, and there are people who have you know, Alzheimer's disease, as I mentioned, um, disorders might not have a sense of self, but are they still conscious? And on top of that, how do you prove that you have a sense of self to anybody else besides saying, yes, I have a sense of self? Yeah. And is your, is your sense of... We, there are plenty of pathologies of people who have a sense of self that doesn't match what other people think about them. Or you have like multiple personality syndrome. Yeah, that's, like that's that. an unusual thing. But yeah, the, the, like right. Those, they, they, have, they have a sense. Or is it, could, it one conscious? That's an excellent you know? question. Where, how do, what emerges? How does that, how does, how do multiple personalities, if you believe those sort of things, emerge yeah, from, if we, if we believe one from brain, going one consciousness. neuron to brain to consciousness, how do you get there? It's it great great unknowns. Um, yeah, it's sort of it's sort of uh, it's sort of interesting to think about, and that leads me to something that you piped in before. I was trying to set up um, because people for you know a lot of years now have known about the electrophysiological properties of neurons. They know about chemicals, neurotransmitters, and other peptides and hormones and neuromodulatory modules in the brain. Uh, people talk about the nervous system communicating with the other systems of the body. Um, um, and all this sort of stuff and the, the, the level of understanding of the connectome is greater now than it has ever been in the past. It'll be even greater as fMRI machines and PET scans get more and more refined. Um, and all this sort of stuff happens. But at what level do all those connections, those anatomical, neurochemical, and electrical connections give rise to consciousness? Mm -hmm. And that is a big unknown. You gave me an article um, 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 in, a, in, a, in the journal Frontiers in Human Neuroscience, and they have a section called Hypotheses and Theory. And what they're raising is an interesting thought here. It's like, what they're saying is that the looking at, you know, from 
neuron to brain to consciousness has thus far been unsatisfactory, right? And they're, they're coming up, they're trying to get people to think about um, physics, not that physics aren't involved with the movement of ions. And, you know, um, in fact, if you study electrophysiology, you take neurobiology with me uh, as, a, as an advertisement. In, in spring <laughs> down, we, we're going to study things. We'll study things like Ohm's law. We'll study things like the Goldman equation. Um, we'll study, you know, equilibrium potentials. Some of the actually the, the three qu equations that you need to know as a neurophysiologist. But you also study those things in a physics class. We did. We did do and, Ohm's law and physics. Right, right, true. And sometimes a chemistry class as well, like equilibrium potentials right. and stuff like that. But how do those things, which are chemical and physical based on the laws of physics and the laws of chemistry, right? those things are created by the movement of ions. The neurons are cells, which means there's things moving in cells. They can do DNA makes RNA makes protein. And so at the same time, they're doing all the things that you think neurons and glial cells do. They're also doing all the stuff that the cells have to do in the body. And so at the the point of this article is looking at the nervous system as just neurochemical and electrical connections hasn't answered the questions about consciousness. What this article is putting forth, which is sort of interesting, is um, things that move on our planet generate electromagnetic fields, right? Um, sometimes they're very, very weak electromagnetic fields, and sometimes they're greater. And these people are sort of addressing the idea that historically neuroscience ha has not been able to use action potentials, movement of ions and neurotransmitters to generate consciousness. And they're saying maybe it's time to bring in the electromagnetic properties that all these things as they're working in any given time are generating. And maybe some, maybe that or some interaction of those things is what leads to the generation of consciousness. So it's not about the neurotransmitters, it's about the actual physics of it and the fields that are well, generated. Well, remember, those things work. All they're, they're related, All those things work under the laws of physics. Mm -hmm. One of the problems with Descartes' pure, pure dualism is how can something like a soul that's not a non-material entity move something with mass? Because on our planet, something that's not in motion will stay not in motion unless acted upon mm -hmm. by some sort of force or mass or something like that, something that's measurable. So the pineal gland's not moving around directing you know, body humors up and down the, the, the nerves. But anyway, what I'm saying is, is that this is a, was a very interesting idea um, by these couple academics saying the electromagnetic fields that are generated by what's known about electrophysiology, um, and there's a word for it, they called it a, a faptic transmission. I didn't see that part. Yeah, that, 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 yeah, you, you, yeah, you probably ignored it, but that's a part that they talked about. Because there's some evidence that uh, this is the, the sort of the inner, it's sort of the interaction of um, elect electromagnetic fields, um, and there's some evidence that like in the hippocampus, pyramidal cells of the hippocampus, that you can have these interactions of electromagnetic fields, which are just it's physics, yeah. right? That can influence the sort of what the hippocampus is doing in the brain, and they're saying that might be a a a next attempt to try to understand the, like, sort of the, what's happening in the nervous system. and It's not just what is consciousness, but where does it emerge? And there's no consensus right now, which is sort of an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. Very interesting stuff. It is interesting stuff. Um, and I'm try I feel like I'm saying everything really fast, really, really quickly. Um, because if we were in like our neurobiology class, Dan, you'd have to slow it down. We'd have to slow it down and we'd have time to talk about, which we don't have time here. But as a nice overview, I think that's a great as a place. Quick overview. So let's 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 break and we'll sort of end the conversation here. We can continue it 
um, afterwards if we want. This is 107.7 The Bronx and 1077thebronc.com. We're recording live from the Digital Bronx Studios. Thank you for listening to Health 411. This program is part of Capital Health and Rider University's efforts to bring people together to address issues that might be interesting to give you things to think about. I hope today's conversation is giving you things to think about in terms of what is consciousness and where does it come from. If you have questions and or comments about this program or want to make suggestions for future broadcasts, please email us at health411 at rider.edu. Remember, you have a doctor's appointment scheduled for every Sunday at 10 a.m. Don't miss the all-new Health 411 with Dr. Jonathan Karp and our expert medical guest from Capital Health. You can listen to Health 411 anytime on demand. Go to 1077thebronc.com slash health411 to listen to past episodes or tune in every Thursday at 9 a.m. to hear the weekend rewind edition of Health 411. Health 411 on 1077 The Bronc is underwritten by Capital Health, Minds Advancing Medicine. Capital Health is the region's leader in providing progressive quality patient care with exceptional physicians, nurses, and staff, as well as advanced technology.